Hello, and welcome to day two of New York Vet. I'm Jesse Longo, LVT, Medical Operations Manager here at Bond Vet. Uh, this is Bond Air, our live podcast coming from the floor of the Javits Center, Manhattan, New York. Uh, I am very excited for our second conversation of the day. Um, we have a full studio in here with some really fantastic human beings that um, are going to talk about some pretty prevalent and really important topics uh, to our clinicians out there, both general practice, ER, it applies basically to anybody that has uh, a veterinary license, um, and I'm really stoked to, to get started. So to get us going, um, to my left here, we have um, from Home Heart Vets uh, and Home Euthanasia um, Practice, Dr. Sam Schoen. Uh, she grew up in England in the countryside. Her nana uh, taught her the beauty of loving animals, encouraged her to spend time helping whoever, uh, however she could. Dr. Sam always uh, has been passionate about horses and has made the most of every chance to interact and care for them. Every chance she could, she would volunteer and learn how to care for all different species. She attended St. George's University in the Caribbean and then completed clinical rotations year at Edinburgh University. She helped spay and neuter efforts during university and has volunteered and worked with nonprofits um, since. Shelter euthanasia from overcrowding really distresses her, so any action to help reduce this is dear to her heart. Since graduating in 2009, she worked in an emergency hospital, regular day practice, spay and neuter clinics, and providing in-home end-of-life care. It is an honor uh, to help people say goodbye, this is her own words, uh, to their loved family member pet at home. Being able to help pets pass peacefully at home is so important to her. Her aim is to give these beautiful creatures gent uh, gentleness and ease when their life has become difficult. Um, Dr. Sam, welcome. Oh no, they couldn't hear you. Try one more time. Hi, Jesse. Thank oh. you for having me. It's a pleasure Sorry. to be here. Oh, thank you so much for being here. I should I should mention co-founder of, of Home Hearts. Yeah, that's right. Co-founder with David. Uh, and you're exhibiting here. How's it been for you so far? Excellent, actually. A lot of interest. Um, a lot of people who we are helping are coming by to stop and show a face to the name. It's been great. Amazing, amazing. Um, and our her her fearless counterpart. Um, and and also a member of both both Homehart and, and Bond, but Dr. David Burse. Um, hello, Dr. David was born in Scotland, but grew up in Germany and Dubai. His entire life, he has felt an affinity to animals. Uh, having a grandfather who was blind and seeing the powerful impact of his guide dog made his life uh, made in his life was extremely impactful to David in his formative years. He always had uh, an idea of becoming in a vet in mind. David attended the Royal Dick School of Veterinary Studies in Edinburgh. Also, David has traveled and volunteered with animal-related charities. He spent time spaying and neutering stray dogs and uh, cats in both Mexico and Thailand. Uh, David has spent seven years in small animal general practice and leadership roles within veterinary medicine. Uh, during the time, he has grown to appreciate the importance of end-of-life care for pets and their guardians. Hello, David. Hello. And it was seven. It's now 12. But oh, wow. Flies. I was going <laughs> to, yeah, that, that's oh, outdated bio. Thank you for that correction. How <laughs> are you doing? I'm doing well. Um, how's the show been? It's been good. Yeah, it's been great. Um, a lot more people here this year than last year. That's what I was saying. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, exhibitors, a lot more like attendees. It's been really great to see folks that I haven't seen in like a really long time too. Looking forward to checking the goats out later. Oh well. yeah, the goats are going to be, Skittles is here. One of them is named Skittles. Oh really? Yes, and he couldn't get his rabies paperwork in time, so he wasn't here yesterday. And it was like a big, they were like, he's, he's the star of the show and they're really excited to have him back. Um, 
And last but certainly not least, um, you heard his voice yesterday during our Atypical Addison's talk, um, but Associate Regional Medical Director, Dr. Jeremy Kimmelsteel. Hey, Jesse. What's up? How's happy, it? happy to be back on the show. Yeah, we had to get you back in here. Um, I know uh, my your episode is the only episode my wife listened to, and she yeah. was like, I don't know what they're talking about, but that guy in the gray really likes to talk. That's true. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, that is, yeah, you, you, you nailed, you nailed Jeremy right on the head. I like a hot mic. Uh, yes. It's hard to, it's, it's hard to not take advantage of it when you have it. Um, awesome. So let's get started, uh, today. Um, obviously having, um, some folks in here, uh, experience, uh, with end of life care, uh, and providing that service at home. Uh, I wanted to, to bring these folks together to discuss, some some of the trials and tribulations that come with um, euthanasia, how we can better uh, uh, approach it, both from a, a clinician perspective um, and then just like holistically how we want to um, view that kind of process in the clinic. So um, I'll get us started here uh, just by discussing a little bit uh, to both of you, since you both have a ton of experience with it. I, I really haven't done much at-home care, but I can imagine it is, uh, it's, it's kind of a whirlwind uh, of emotions at times. But what, what do you think, what, what drew you both to um, kind of wanting to provide this type of service? And then what do you feel like that those, those big benefits um, are highlighted when you're able to do that? I'll start, Sam, if you want to kick it off. Well, for me, it was, um, it was just the first time that a client asked me if I could go to their home after work, after being in a regular day practice. Um, even as a vet, I didn't really understand um, that it was a service that people needed and wanted. And I went to that house that evening and there was just such a much more relaxed environment. The client was in, her, in their comfortable space. The pet was in its own bed. Um, he was just sleeping peacefully, really comfortable. He hadn't been stressed in a car whilst he was feeling sick and then somewhere that he may be associated with getting tests and needles and maybe things that weren't pleasant. Um, so straight away I felt like there was a lot more space and then it was just more time for the moment that really deserved to be just spacious and give everyone their time to say goodbye properly. It made a, a big impact on me compared to what I felt in practice. Maybe I have two or three appointments waiting that... I didn't want have the time that it deserved to be um, in a room in a typical, at least for the practice I was at at the time. So that's when it struck me the most of, wow, this is how I would love it to be for all my own pets. And then I started to embark upon it from there, really. Amazing. Yeah, that sounds like it would be extremely influential, especially like, again, in that like that space and that environment was something similar for you, David. Yeah, I think so. Um, I hadn't really thought about it or done it until Sam and I were speaking either um, but it makes intuitive sense I think that's often when we're talking to clients they'll say oh I wish I'd known that this was a thing for my last animal mm-hmm. um, it, it's something that people just get quite quickly um, you know we are in houses or we're in parks or we're on beaches um, we can be wherever the animal is mm-hmm. um, and then like Sam was saying in practice for for vets and veterinary teams and I'm sure later we'll talk about ways that we can make the euthanasia experience better even in a practice setting but generally speaking there's limited resources in terms of time but also space you might have someone who needs to get into that room Um, people are moving in and out dealing with payment um, emotions as they're walking past clients who may have just adopted a puppy or are having a much happier experience so um, although euthanasia can be done well um, in a practice setting it is just a bit different and you can curate a different experience 
when it's um, done in an outside environment. Absolutely. Um, and Jeremy, I guess before before you've met David, um, uh, what was kind of your kind of either experience with any at-home care perception of at-home care and, and benefits that you kind of found? Yeah, um, great question. I think my, my experience with at-home care has been, you know, for the most part, tainted by the stories of going into other people's homes, having to find the patients, um, and then, you know, work to, you know, to create a vet experience in the home. Um, I don't have a lot of experience with at-home euthanasia until meeting, you know, the home heart folks. Um, so um, it's, it certainly is something that really makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I think both of you just in answering your in, in answering that question, the one thing that sort of was like the undertone to, of course, it's great for the pet, it's great for the client, but it sounds like you guys are also saying it's great for the clinician. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so that that connection is is really interesting to me from you know from somebody who works in it has worked in big and small practices that um, you know there's also the health of the clinician, and I think that's a big topic on a lot of people's minds. And 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 certainly this is one of the places that I think weighs on on veterinary clinicians. I don't know what your thoughts are. Yeah, it gives you, um, you get to connect with people in a way that, first of all, the euthanasia is, you know, so emotionally charged, you get a deeper connection no matter what. But when you're in someone's home, that you're already entering into their space and it just allows you to meet them at the level that they're at and you get so much gratitude and satisfaction by giving people an experience that they wouldn't have had otherwise. Um, so it's it's actually intensely satisfying that you're helping an animal that's suffering. You're helping a family. They don't have to drive home as well. I would I would always worry about them trying to drive, crying, and you know, in that really fraught state. Um, and then they've got their space, and you have your time also just to process the intensity of what has just happened. Um, you know, and also you don't have to then step into another room, ready to do a vaccine with a, a new fresh face yeah. when you've just probably been really deeply touched by the love that you've just seen and and the hardness of a moment that someone else that you're having empathy for um so it gives us as a doctor a little bit of space just to process it as well which is not always the case you know when you're not in this in-home environment right. and, and we are able to evaluate the readiness for euthanasia in a way that i think is actually um in some ways deeper and closer to the reality of the situation because we're seeing how they're existing in their own space and um, when clients come in and they try to represent and they may not even really know what to look for or um, based upon the questions we're asking we're missing whole areas of what the pet's day-to-day life is like and what the experience of the animal is and so um, we we get a sense of that quite quite quickly and so um, you always are, as a result of that, doing it for the right reason. You know, um, it's really important. I think that euthanasia can be extremely satisfying and rewarding um, for clinicians. Um, I think the exception to that is when they feel like they did it when they maybe shouldn't have. Um, and I think the in-home option allows you to feel much more secure with that than um, than, than sometimes in clinic you might be. Um, and that said, there still are some times where things happen, you know, if there's a aggression or behavioral yeah. case and uh, there's there's always that like calculus of the resources the clients have, what's realistic, you know, if there's a uh, an elderly owner and an elderly animal is rehoming the animal in the best interests of the animal, is it not? Those are all things that vets have to work through and, and deal with, but it is important that when they um, decide to move forward with it, that they can um, feel good about the decision that they made. Absolutely. 
um all all really good good uh points like leading towards again like that that mental aspect of of both the, the client and the clinician uh relationship that is truly one that will stick in in the client's minds for a very very long time and i know that there's I'm sure there's euthanasias that, that we've all been a part of um, that also stick out in our minds as well. Um, and, and, and speaking on this, also, when I think of the at-home uh, the care that, that you both provide and just my experiences with it, I can imagine there are times also out in the field that it either becomes some challenge arises. And I'm sure there's like some sort of um, like a way that you've been able to adapt to that over time and, and f- prepare for these scenarios that kind of arise. I know um, utilizing technicians or um, other uh, other folks within your organization to be able to, to help support with that. But um, how, how are those ta- kind of tackled through? Um, so there's, there's client factors and there's patient factors. Yeah. And, uh, much like in day-to-day practice, um, clients are um, their own beast. And... Um, uh, most of them are, are wonderful, and and uh, even when they are more challenging, um, the empathy of understanding that that's generally coming from a place of being in a very emotional state is really important. But with the animal, a lot of the things that can happen are similar to what would happen in private practice as well, venous access, things like that. I think the most important thing is the way that that's communicated. If you are painting the picture in advance of all the things that can happen, um, then when they do um and our protocols are very predictable, but there's always those exception cases where something takes a bit longer or happens in a different way or we use a different route or a different approach. And if you do that, having first prefaced with the client what could happen, mm-hmm. then they don't react as surprised or as if it's something negative because you've let them know that that's something that could happen Um, and so you are always in control as the provider then of the experience Uh, even internally if you're feeling some stress when you can't hit a vein um, I think it's really helpful to be able to keep that um, to yourself (laughs) not let the body language betray the fact that you maybe are a little bit anxious because ultimately we're trying to curate an experience for the owner to be able to focus only on the animal and if they start to worry about our technical capability um, or other aspects of the euthanasia or whether something's happening that shouldn't happen um, maybe the pet's nauseous or maybe um, if it's a pet that has a history of seizures maybe a seizure is triggered things like that so um, I think being able to prepare the clients for all of the ways that things could unfold is pretty important mm-hmm. um, I guess also, I mean, you're, you're, this expectation setting is something that like across any, anywhere that, that a procedure like this is kind of taking place um, is so important, but it feels as though like an, an in-clinic doctor would have a much, I guess, more difficult time taking, I mean, I know I, I obviously a lot of clinicians will, will stop their day and, and take the time to be able to explain through it, but there still is that looming pressure of, I got another case to get to. Right. Um, how is that something that you kind of, grappled with or tackled through um, when you're approaching it, Jeremy? Yeah, I mean, I think that in every day, there is a level of triage that is happening. And so sometimes that triage is with, you know, actual cases that we're seeing, and we have to prioritize certain cases over other cases. And I think euthanasia in an in-clinic setting is something that gets prioritized pretty high. Mm -hmm. Um, It's something that we'll clear out rooms for right away. Um, and you know, from a from a mental capacity standpoint of the clinician, it's the, it's the thing that we're focusing on most in those moments. 
Um, and you really try to make more time before and after um, for a variety of reasons. All the things we've spoken about, you know, the, the pet, the client, the, the clinician, the nurses, the, the staff. I mean, sometimes these are patients we've been seeing for years. Um, and so um, it's, it's definitely prioritization. I think the best clinicians do triage really well. I don't, I don't necessarily know that it's all about diagnostics and treatment, but I think triage is a, is a really big component of what makes a good clinician and knowing when to prioritize euthanasia and the experience for the, the clients, the pets, and, and, the, and the staff of the, of the clinic is huge. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, think, I think we've pointed out a lot of uh, great benefits to um, providing at-home care, but you identified a, a quite a bit of, of the drawbacks to doing, uh, like the, the things that you can't really access uh, when it comes to in-clinic. I, 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 your, Sam, your example of driving home distressed. It's something that is like, I wouldn't even, it doesn't even occur to me in my head, uh, but you putting it out, of course, that's something that is to be considered. Is it, uh, they lost a family member and, and sending somebody home, like that is um, huge. Um, so I guess when we are, we're talking about this and, and it kind of rounds us into our next topic of conversation is how do we, uh, how are we best able to, how are we best positioned um, as clinicians in, in a brick and mortar practice where clients are coming to us to provide these services uh how are we able to uh give them a similar experience to uh that kind of calm uh, and comfort when we know obviously uh, that their pet is uncomfortable and in an unfamiliar space as just as much as uh the relationship that that vet may have with this person maybe it's a brand new uh vet you've never seen this pet before um what are some uh some tips i guess or or even just sage words of advice uh to to bring to bring that kind of same mindset uh into the clinics um well i think something that um struck me the first as being the most different is typically in practice i'd seen we take the pet into the back and we place an iv catheter so that we've got access for giving the medication sooner um whereas in an in-home setting we actually sedate under the skin or im first and then that way the client can stay with the pet. The pet's last memories aren't having um, a vein being palpated and accessed, which in fragile old pet veins, that can not be the best experience. Um, this way the client isn't separated from the pet either at that important moment. So if the pet parent can stay with their baby and just hold them whilst they fall asleep, I think that lends a huge moment that is sometimes denied to them when we separate them um, and they're sitting in the room wondering, you know, how are they, how are they doing? Um, and then I think if we can provide some blankets or just a towel or something so that there's a little bit of softness in the room um, for the large dogs that are on the floor or the small ones, they can, I think, hold them is if they want to is, is the most comforting way. So I think that's probably the first change that we can offer and recommend compared to potentially the more common route, which is just placing an IV catheter and then just going straight IV with everything. It just gives it a little bit more time for the client to prepare. They say goodbye, the pet's now asleep and doesn't have to experience the, the vein being accessed. Um, for me, I think that's really important as a pet parent myself. I would live that for my own animals. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, and the drug protocols we use um, do not cause venous collapse and make it's access more challenging. I think that's often a fear. and One less technician needed as well. So, Right. right. Yeah. I think um, the um, choice to put an IV catheter in still remains, but um, when we're in the in-home environment, we don't 
use those and we use butterfly catheters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that is something that also can be done in practice. I've um, done that myself in our Upper East Side location um, with a client where we did a euthanasia and the animal did not, the dog did not have to leave the room and we used a butterfly. It was a very smooth process, um, very much like the in-home experience, um, despite being in one of our clinics. Yeah, yeah. Um, what kind of yeah. advice would you give to, to inexperienced veterinarians regarding euthanasia? It's just not something that's really taught that well in school. I think there's like the four main things they tell you to touch on, but I think that's the only real mentorship I was ever given. Otherwise, it was when it came time to do my first, it was just me and the clients in there. And, and there's definitely some mistakes I've made along the way sure. that, I've, that, I've, um, that have improved the experience for clients beyond the ones that I've made mistakes on. I think um, upstream is the importance of talking about prognosis um, and aligning on clients' expectations and capabilities early, um, even with something that might otherwise be manageable, like um, chronic conditions, diabetes, renal disease, things like that, especially if there's um, multiple happening at the same time as there often are. Um, Although we know that those things can be managed, um, what if the client doesn't have the capability to administer medications? What if they don't have the financial means to properly monitor? So I think um, it's really important to make sure we're calibrating with clients early in terms of what their expectations are. That's when the clients feel we're on the same side of the table as them working together um, to work out the best path forward, regardless of whether that involves um, tertiary care and all of the things that we can do um, or something much more palliative. Um, I think that is something that gets the clients on our sides, but also then makes the vets feel um, comfortable. Again, we talked about the importance of the vet feeling good about the decision to do the euthanasia. And if they um, are partnering with their clients in that way, I think it will help them to feel good about the euthanasias that they might otherwise feel bad about because they feel we could have done more. Um, Or, you know, if it was mine, maybe I would have done more. Um, but taking the time to explore with the client what is realistic for them helps them to then empathize and see that the realistic option for this animal and the best option for this animal might be euthanasia. Um, and then the only other one I would say is reiterating um, in the room the importance of communicating the things to expect to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, whether there might be muscle fasciculation after the animal's passed away or, you know, things depending on the drug protocols that we use. Um, we try to minimize any adverse effects like triggering a seizure or um, inducing emesis, things like that. But those things can always still happen. Um, so making sure that we're prepared and then if they happen, remaining calm um, and projecting that confidence to the client that they still feel that we can be looked to. And, and you, you'll see it happening in the room. Mm-hmm. You know, they look at you and yeah. um, what they see in your face in that moment is what decides how things unfold from there. <laughs> yeah, they can feel it. As long as you're calm and the animal is not in any distress, sometimes the body's reacting with some deep breaths or faster breathing or the eyes stay open and things that people expect don't always happen. So as long as it's uh, you know you can explain that you're definitely able to help the pet no matter what, and it's going to be peaceful and you're all together, it's totally fine. And I would say practically things like making sure you have you know not just the drug drawn up that you need, but the bottle is there that you have. Yeah. Um, you don't have to have someone leaving the room and coming back in, and you know those kinds of things. You know, if you have the sedation drawn up and and you, know, you miss it or something, mm-hmm. um, the animal moves 
to leave the room and draw up more. And so it's just yeah. having everything ready and having the backups and some redundancy is helpful too. And wee wee pads so you can keep the pet clean and have dignity and, and make sure you're looking after the, the visual aspect of their last memory too. So that, I think that means a lot. Absolutely. Um, this is, I mean, I think, I think a big takeaway, especially uh, rounding back to like Jeremy's question on just new veterinarians and is, is that communication piece? Um, how important that is in that expectation setting uh, with an owner, which is, is one of those things again that uh, we talked about uh, in a talk earlier is just, you, you don't have that prep uh, while you're kind of in school and then coming into practice and seeing how important that is um, when it comes, especially to a situation where you can't really predict always how, um, how what this process is going to impact to the, to the pet. To the pet. Um, and, and again, that, that sense of like calmness. Uh, I remember, I recall a time where like first time I had to place a catheter in a room uh, with owners around uh i was like, on the floor it was just, like a, it was a downed like shepherd or, um and the family like kind of was all around me and i was terrified i was like immediately very very nervous and i knew that I was just like okay let's be calm i've done this a million times it was just kind of like that self-talk of going through the process and knowing like everyone around you is, it's so so like powerful of just like the emotion that's around you and um you you know that i think again it's like that reminder of like this is the last time these folks are going to remember seeing this um their their family member um so so remaining calm in that despite uh it it feeling scary and and awkward knowing that this is just like this it's it's okay um it's really important clients will remember that forever and so we get a lot of clients who will say you know never again will i do it with this vet or in this yeah, place yeah and it's it's you know that's not a fair way to assess you know the quality of of maybe that whole practice or or certainly any one individual provider but still that is all they have to kind of base it on so making that experience the right one is what will lead to referrals it will lead to them coming back when they readopt another patient another pet and so um, it's good from a from a practical and from a business perspective too so yeah, yeah. i think um focusing on on communication training is is what we owe um what the generation below us or, or just any anybody less experienced than than the ones that were than us um you know i, I think that's something I, I try to take into every single day is like it's there's no there's no substitute for experience everybody in the room is nodding their head and but there's no substitute for experience but certainly there is room for communication training and i think if you're if you're mentoring i think they're um, you know, it's sometimes it's not helpful to say this is the pathophysiology of diabetes and how and what and what drugs you're going to give. But actually, how are you going to explain this to the client, yeah. what we just talked about? And running through that exercise is going to be is really helpful. So I think as as mentors, everyone here and, and just, you know, paying it forward, it's it's super important to to stop your day to to have that communication talk, because I, I think it would have probably been helpful for my first euthanasia if somebody said, like, let's have the talk. Yeah. before you go in absolutely and and asking the clients a lot of questions um this is beyond euthanasia but just in general is the starting point you know mm. like have they never seen this have they seen it five or six times are they physicians themselves are yeah. they um 
familiar or not with the disease the animal has and what to expect. You know, if you are not asking those questions, you cannot be tailoring the experience to meet their needs in the best possible way. And so it isn't a um, script. So I would yeah. say for the people listening um, out there in the airwaves, um, <laughs> if you are thinking about your own approach and you think, oh yeah, euthanasia, I'm going to say these three or four things in some kind of canned version and you are always saying it it probably is working and that's why you've landed there but i would encourage you to try starting in a different way um and and tailoring your approach based upon the answers to questions that you ask them very simple things like have you done this before Um, what are your expectations what are your goals um how can i make this the best experience for you Um, and i think that's also why a lot of people don't end up in in-home in settings because clinicians are not asking questions like that. Yeah. So if we said, hey, do you know that this can actually be done differently? Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people would choose it. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I feel like that um, That's true. That identification of, it, like even just asking questions, immediately the power dynamic that's in the room when uh, a veterinarian comes in and it's, it, it is euthanasia, it is, it, especially if somebody's kind of just going through the motions of it, I can only imagine as an owner what that feels like it's just like i'm doing what the, the vet recommended it and this is what they're telling me to do and that's all that i understand and, and the importance of understanding that is uh is crucial to again the experience overall i think as an in-clinic provider it's a kind of a scary question is how can i make this the best possible experience for you because they're working within the, the constructs of what i can give them and you know that might be 10 minutes of my time right. and what they might want is an hour and they're taking up a room and they've used all of our bedding. We have no more towels for the other things we need, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's all fine and good. And we should give them and, and, and allocate those resources. But I think it is a really good question, not only from an in-clinic perspective, but when, you, when you're doing it at home, it sounds like you can tailor the experience even more by asking that question. Yeah, we can meet them where they want to be. Let you let me guide me with where you'd like to be in your home and with the time frame of there's no rush you know we can sedate them first and there's there's no rush to move forward with the next step everyone has time to process it um but also different to how it is in a clinic sometimes it's hard to control the external environment outside the room people are having lunch maybe they an emergency has come in and it's hard to have that quiet last moment um if someone's laughing outside or you know there's something it intense going on um, then that is out of your control as much as you try to let people know in a busy practice you can't have that quietness that that last moment often needs and if the answer to the question how can we make this experience what you want it to be um, is answered with all these things that can't be delivered I think that's important too because then we are on the same page that actually we can't we can't do this like maybe in home is the answer right mm-hmm. like it's, it depends how urgent and what their mindset is but it's an, it, it, we don't have to do everything every time for um for in clinic settings do you um do either of you have recommendations from sort of a design perspective of, of things that should be thought about if you're you know designing a clinic or um, rearranging a clinic and are there things that you can think of that would be an important um addition to make it a better experience from a in-clinic setting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think a, a room that is a little bit further away from the general waiting area um, and from the reception area, that would be preferable. Also with a little bit more space that maybe you could fit um, a more comfortable chair or a small couch. Um, I think that is crucial actually to be able to have the proper seating area 
where they can have a moment t- together rather than the more typical plastic chairs and a table setup. Um, and then even a window can lend a lot of peace. So I think those things would be, for me, the crucial choices. Um, as we kind of wrap everything up, uh, I wanted to give everyone kind of an opportunity to, to have that, that final statement of uh, takeaways that you, you want uh, the, the folks at home listening to, to consider in their practice or during their next euthanasia, either in clinic or at, or at home. Um, well, we can uh, we can offer lunch and learns. We can help talk to your practice and help answer questions, how we can help you provide a better experience um, in the practice, let you know that we can help you with your clients. Um, we're Home Heart Vets. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn. Um, we're also available for any conversations if you just want to talk about the process or just to get any advice. Um, and we also offer consultations to the clients to help decide when it's time. That was quite comprehensive. I don't think I have anything else to add, but thank you. Thank you for having us, Jesse. It's a really important thing to talk about, and we are here to make the euthanasia experience the best it can be, whether that is in clinics or whether that is on a on a park bench. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Thank you, David. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Jesse. Jeremy. I'll just... I'll just say that um, I certainly learned a lot today from from the two of you, but but beyond t- today or, or before today as well, I think some of the the um, tactics I have with with euthanasia in the clinic have changed based off of um, things I've heard from your experiences in the home, um, including you know drug usage and and the the way that the things progress throughout the clinic. And so, um, thank you for for mentoring in that way. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I think of, of you all as the communication gurus when I think of uh, the intention uh, behind the words that you say and how you share it and, and all of that. So kudos to all of you and thank you for, for being so great. Um, that will wrap us up for our f- second episode, second episode of the day. Um, thanks everyone for joining me. Thank you, Jesse. I thanks hope you have a good rest of the show. We will be uh, live in a couple uh, I guess in an hour and a half uh, talking about technician utilization uh, with a couple of LVTs from Bond Um, we will be streaming on twitch.tv slash bondvetny this will be posted immediately as soon as we finish this stream um, the video and then there will be an audio only portion sent uh, to Spotify next week Uh, the videos will be posted permanently up onto YouTube um, so check out everyone there and thank you again talk to you guys soon peace